KDB Review Podcast for the record. This is episode 18 of season 3, but in reality it's a very special episode as I'm currently standing at the back of the magnificent Liverpool Cathedral. While I'd love to say that I'd seen the light and was here to repent my many, many, many sins, it's actually the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021. I've been trying to remember the last time I was ever here for an actual event, and I think it was probably like the Cub Scouts or something in the 1980s, so A, that shows how old I am, and B, it shows how unreligious I am. But we've got a fantastic night planned here. People are just arriving, you'll probably hear them in what is a beautiful sunny evening here in Liverpool. And first up is our drinks reception in the area of the cathedral known as The Well. And what they don't know arriving here, obviously, is that this bit will conclude with a gospel choir singing from the... Dulverton Bridge, which overlooks the well, and a handful of us were here for the sound check. And well, I'll be honest with you, we all got a bit teary. Absolutely beautiful. Sounds amazing. Uh, and then playing everyone through to sit down for dinner will be, well, the biggest pipe organ in the UK, right? Which is not bad for an awards ceremony. Uh, and then, of course, we have the ceremony where we'll give out the most sought after trophies in the kitchen and bathroom industry. Brilliant. So everyone's looking very smart, if not a little bewildered, uh, about what to do with themselves, as I think for most of us this is the first night out in a long time. But if you're going to do it, do it in the most incredible venue ever, that's what we thought. So on this very special episode, we'll run through the winners from the ceremony, and the plan is that I'll pop up a few times in between to chat to three or four of them uh, in interviews that I'll probably do later. I don't think anyone will want me shoving this microphone under their nose tonight, and quite right too. Uh, Yeah, but first up though, if you excuse me, I have to go and do a little speech. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the managing editor of Taylor's Media. It's Andrew Davis. Welcome to the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021. We're here, we made it. We're out, out. Yeah. Thank you all so much for coming in what is still, let's face it, such odd circumstances. It's amazing to see so many of you here. It's so weird. It's so strange seeing people in person like this. I've barely seen anyone from the chest down in 18 months. I'm in the middle of a cathedral giving a speech, but I still feel like there's a real chance I'll get interrupted by an Amazon delivery. (laughs) So look, thank you for coming. It's a pleasure to welcome you all here to my house. Um, It was a three-bed semi, but like many people during lockdown, we had a bit of work done. (laughs) People have travelled here from all over the UK and beyond to be here. I'll tell you how in demand it is. People are here from the Wirral. Yeah. But in all seriousness, there is something very fitting about the fact that regardless of anyone's beliefs, we're bookending this whole mad experience of the last 18 months in a building that represents hope and love and community. So I can't think of anywhere better to do this than in this fantastic place. But this is a momentous event, and I do know that what everyone is really thinking is, does tonight technically count as working, or can we claim it back as furlough? Look, I don't know, it's been a very weird time, hasn't it? And let's be honest, we were all making up as we went along. At KBB Review, like everyone else, we had to make some very difficult decisions along the way. We did furlough most of the staff to save money, and in fact, as a team, we were doing so many Zoom calls that as a cost-cutting measure, we did toy with the idea of making everyone's third dimension redundant. <laughs> but we're all back now, there's no question that this is an evening of first. It's the first time we've been in Liverpool. It's the first time we've all been together since COVID began, and it's the first time in 18 months I'm not wearing trousers with an elasticated waist. <laughs> But you should all be genuinely very proud of yourselves for being here. You're all pioneers. You're all playing your part in getting this industry moving again, getting it face-to-face and getting it back to normal. So thank you so much for your resilience, your perseverance and your support just by being here. Now, bear with me because, as you would expect, I do actually have some housekeeping things I need to to run through. There are some rules from the cathedral. Uh, The first one here is, thou shalt not kill. (laughs) 
that's a big one, really. You should probably all take note of that. We all, no one wants to repeat the 2008 awards. Uh, we've got another one here. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, another important one. You've, it's probably the first time any of you have been away from home in 18 months. <laughs> I'm just saying, look where you are, right? Someone's watching. And by someone, I mean CCTV. <laughs> Two words for you, Matt Hancock. Uh, we've got another one here. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbour's installer. That's an updated one, I think. Probably harder to stick to than the killing one. Look, to be honest, there's a few of these, 10 or so. Uh, I won't do them all. They're probably more like guidelines and strict rules. It's not like they're carved in stone. <laughs> but on to the business at hand. We are here tonight to give out the biggest and most prestigious awards in the industry. And our finalists have been waiting very patiently for many months. Here's what they all want our famous trophies, yeah? Now, as always, they're designed specifically for this year, which means there's only those 16 of them on the planet, making them incredibly rare. On a scale of rarity, there's these trophies, hen's teeth and dishwashers. <laughs> now, that's it for me. Once again, thank you all for coming. Good luck to all the finalists, even though I don't actually mean that, as I clearly know who's won. And I'll be back during the ceremony to tell you all about our special achievement winner. But until then, enjoy your dinner and thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage your host for this evening. It's Joel Domitz. Welcome to the KBV Review Awards Show, everybody. God, you're for a good night. This is fantastic. It's incredible. It's a pleasure. Life's weird, isn't it? Life's weird. Three days ago, I was hosting the NTAs in front of millions of people at home. Today, I'm hosting some kitchen and bath. We begin with the kitchen designer of the year. Project costs up to £30,000. Yeah, woo indeed. So, on behalf of Franca, I'm delighted to announce that the award goes to Donna Casey. Now it's the Bathroom Designer of the Year, with a project cost up to £10,000. On behalf of MP, I'm delighted to announce that the winner is Stephen Pepper. Here is Stephen Pepper now. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very, very well, thank you. Congratulations to you for your win. It was a fantastic project that you were working on, absolutely cracking. So how did it feel when you, when you read that name out? Surreal? I mean, look, like, let's face it, the whole event was surreal. I think this was, you know, for all of us, this was the first time we'd been out at anything like this. And my God, you picked an amazing venue. <laughs> So, yeah, I think the whole night was just rather fabulous, but a little bit surreal. Well, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. But <laughs> it would be nothing without guys like you sending your entries in. Let's go back. This is, a, as I say, a cracking project, this. And it's got such an interesting story behind it that I think it's worth doing a little bit of the background because your client is basically it's a developer, but they're a housing association. But this refurb, it's a bit different for them again, isn't it? So, so tell us the story. Give us the background. I, I think it's so many different ways this was so different for them because um, this client is very, very used to doing social housing. They know that market inside out, but a big chunk of this development was private sale and not just private sale. Private sale in actually quite a high value area of London and then chucking the fact that this was a refurbishment of an arts and craft building 
And all of that kind of coming together, you know, the client was good enough to sit there and go, we actually don't know what the hell we're doing in this. So let's bring in somebody who does. So, you know, our challenge was then to give them a spec that respected who they were, where we were in London, their selling values, their target market, but also really respected the building. And we were really conscious we wanted to do something that that worked with this arts and crafts building. But we also had to remember that this was a building that when it was built was the social housing of its of its day. So it was trying to get something that wasn't, you know, so fancy that it kind of didn't feel authentic with what the outside was. So that was the challenge. Yeah, and it's really hard, isn't it, in those jobs, I think, to not, I don't know, pastiche the whole thing, to not get sort of so caught up in the theme that you end up making a dog's dinner of it. I, I, I mean, pastiche is literally the word. That that was exactly what we were trying to avoid. I think it's so, this building was built in, I guess, either 27 or 28. You know, you say that period to most people and instantly everyone goes, oh, Art Deco, Hercule Poirot, flapper dresses. And, and, and I think we all know in our heads what we think that looks like in terms of interior design. This development isn't that. It's as far removed from that as you can get. Like I said, there were... The original architecture definitely got some arts and crafts vibes going on, but there was also a little bit of art deco going on in there. And it was about doing something that was a lot more restrained. But equally, our client was like, look, you know, we we want to do something that's a bit different, that's a little bit interesting, that's going to make a mark, that's going to help us, you know, stand out from the behemoth of a scheme next door that's selling 2,000 units, mainly in China and Russia. Like, you know, we need to do something a bit different. Um, but yeah, pastiche, we used that word so many times and everything, you know, we were looking at was basically, does this look a complete cliche? And if it does, we're not doing it. So you as a designer, do you just rub your hands together and just think, oh, let me at this kind of thing? Or are you just spend a lot of time scratching your head thinking, oh my God, what have we taken on? No, no, no. Uh, genuinely, a job like this, and I'm, you know, I'm not just, I don't just say this about all our clients. They, they were an amazing client because there's something really refreshing about having someone come along and go, you know, we don't really know what to do with this, and we know you guys do, so do your stuff. And that, that's exactly what we did, and we went out and we did our stuff. And a big chunk of that is going out and doing what hell of a lot of research first, you know, working out who the target audience is for for our clients and then working out what's going to speak directly to them. So th- this is not just about, you know, a client coming along and going, do your worst and it's going, right, great. All those designs that we've had sitting on Pinterest for ages, now is the opportunity to try them. This was about going out and really researching and working out what would work best, but then having the confidence that we had a client who would embrace that. I think we all know what it's like having clients who will say, go on, you know, we want something out there, we want something mad, and we've all done it, and then you present to them and they go, oh, no, 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 when, when we said out there, we did, we did <laughs> that out there, and this client very much trusted us, um, you know, and obviously the end results that you've all seen are, you know, that this is the culmination of three years' worth of work with the clients, I mean, the original concepts, you know, were a little bit more out there, we had some different colour schemes going on that were all reflective of the era, and that's kind of where we got to. So I wouldn't say we, we dumbed it down, but we, we did, you know, we calmed it down a little bit to end up with where we got to. You've also got to do 70-odd of these bathrooms as well, haven't you? Exactly. And, and I think that's one of the unique challenges with working the way we do at Suno because, because we're only B2B. So, 
we're, we're, we're not working with the one private client who, you know, they, they might allow you to go a little bit further or they might allow you to go a little bit over budget if you're showing them something that's just so amazing that they feel they've got to do it. You know, 72 units for us is actually one of the smaller schemes we work on, which means, you know, you have to be so careful with the budget because you overspend by £100 and that's not 100 that's 100 multiplied by 72 or you know, 1,256, like one of the schemes I'm working on at the moment. But, you know, you have also got to make sure that you're coming up with a design that works in every single unit. And that was the challenge on this scheme because it's quite a unique design that we've come up with as well. It was like, this needs to work on all 72 in a refurb. You know, and some of these units have got scaling lines and windows and really awkward shapes. So it's no use doing a design if you go, that's great, that works on the one benchmark block. How does the client now interpret that throughout the entire scheme? Yeah, that's a challenge. <laughs> I got a little worried there, Stephen, because I thought you were going to ask me to do maths. So thank God you didn't ask me what the answer to that question was. Why do you think I picked the figure 100? <laughs> I think we can all slap a couple of zeros on the end. But look, I think you know the budget, the, the, the value for money in this is one of the things that really jumped out at the judges during that discussion. I mean, look, you've got the economies of scale and everything that goes on with, with these kind of developer jobs. But even so, you're looking at less than three grand supply only for each one of these bathrooms. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and like you said, look, I, it would be really disingenuous of me to pretend, to pretend that economies of scale are making a big, big difference on this. You know, if, 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 you're, if you're dealing with a private client and you're buying that bathroom once, <clears throat> or you're only doing, you know, a main bathroom and two on switch, you are clearly not going to be buying at the same sort of rates that our clients are buying. So, you know, I do have to acknowledge that. But then some of it is, you know, some of it is about then creative, clever design. You know, we... You can go out there with £100 a square metre to spend on a tile and you can still pick a tile that's going to look, well, crap. Um, this is about, you know, being really, really careful with the way you spend your money. So some of the items in there are actually relatively, they're relatively affordable products, even if we were doing this in, you know, private client land. Um, it's just about choosing. It's kind of that whole thing of, you know, picking your battles. We can't. We can't spend on everything. So it's which are the key feature bits and then which are the areas where I can massively pull back the spend. Um, so, the, you know, there was definitely a hell of a lot of that going on. But I think it's it's management of budget against, as you say, design input and style. I mean, I think, you know, it, it would not be difficult for anyone to spend three grand on a plot that size and get a decent bathroom put in and it would look fine. But what you've done is gone, oh, fine isn't enough. It needs to be designed. It needs to look like someone has actually spent some time that, to be sympathetic to the surroundings and to have a look that you want to gain and do it for that price. I think that's what really stood out. I, I, I think the other thing is you're also trying to, you're doing a holistic design because what, what you're seeing on this award entry is obviously only one room, but we are then designing the entire apartment. And it's that whole thing if you want there to be a flow from the second you go through the front door so that the entire design works. So, you know, what you might not be picking up on there is the green that's the green on the vanity cabinet. That exact laminate is actually also used inside all of the wardrobes in the master bedroom. And some of the shaping that we've got going on is then mimicked in other rooms and in ironmongery and light switches, for example. So it's all of those things as well, I, I guess, which are extra challenges, but it also makes it, you know, super exciting 
is doing that design that just weaves its way throughout the entire apartment. Oh, that's great, and that's what these awards are all about. It's it's awarding a, a level of design, not necessarily a level of how to spend money. And it's just particularly in this category, which is obviously the lowest project cost category in bathrooms, but you still managed to come up with a great design work, and that's what this is all about. So, look, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. It's really good to get into the skin of these things, and congratulations again on your win. Thank you very much, and thanks for a great award. Unbelievable! How tall that man is! He's tall and he's winning awards. Life is unfair. The next category is Kitchen Designer of the Year with a project cost of £30,000 to £50,000. On behalf of Kitchens, Bedrooms and Bathrooms magazine, I am delighted to reveal that the winner is Howard Miller. Now we're moving on to the Bathroom Designer of the Year. Project cost £10,000 to £25,000. On behalf of Kilo Showers, I'm very proud to announce that the winner is Judith Harrop. Next. We have Kitchen Designer of the Year. Project cost over £50,000, money bags. On behalf of Samsung, I'm really proud to announce that the winner is David Hall. And we have David Hall with us right now. Hello, David. Hello. How are you, sir? Congratulations on your win. Very well done to you. Thank you very much. Of course, what was great about you, and it's great having you on here now, is because you weren't actually there on the night. You were the traditional, I'm afraid David can't be with us tonight, speech, because... We had symptoms of COVID, so we had to stay away. We kind of took a view on it and thought we'd better stay away. Which is quite right and very sensible it was too, but of course I knew that you were going to win. So when I heard you weren't coming, I was gutted, so I'm very sorry about that. But you did win, and that's the important thing. We were actually thrilled to win. Unfortunately, we were watching MasterChef, wondering how everything was going. So it wouldn't be funny if we were watching MasterChef and we actually won this thing and then went to bed. <laughs> well, most people didn't go to bed as early as that, I must say, on the night. Let's talk a little bit about this project itself, because what I find so interesting about it and what the judges found so interesting about it is that, you know, at face value, it is a shaker-style kitchen. But what was so fascinating was the level of detail, the, mi- the minutiae of the detail was what won you this award. So give us a little talk through, if you can, just some of the details that you put in there. Well, shaker kitchens, by their nature, to me, send shivers down my spine. As soon as somebody said they want a shaker-style kitchen, it's kind of, what do you mean by shaker-style? Um, so to me, if they do want a framed kitchen or a shaker or panel door, for me, it's very easy to, to use that as a recipe. So you've got a bunch of panel doors. There we are. Dick done it. To me, it's about proportion and it's about get, getting layering or trying to escape the notion of what people see as a shaker style kitchen and bring it more in in line with a made kitchen. In other words, a kitchen that isn't fabricated from panels, something that looks like somebody's made the doors somebody's made the frameworks and somebody's thought about it so to that end we were kind of restricted to what we could make we had one long long low elevation and within that obviously there are certain things unchangeable things like dishwashers and 600 units that have to go in there so for us it was it was trying to get as much interest as we could into that low level unit and that's why we chose to use the reclaiming timber for us it was all happening in the corner or we could make it all happen in the corner and the Really, to me, it's about it's about creating something that is a it's a lovely piece of furniture. It's something that you'll stand in front of, and the frameworks kind of explain themselves in in a way. I mean, you can see the way they're put together. You can see the the way they're soldered and made. 
our guy who makes this, I said, look, they don't, I don't want them to look like they came out of uh, somewhere in Germany or Italy or possibly China. I want, I want them to express how they're made. So don't worry about things like that. And that's kind of where we went. So it was all about the character of the wood and the character of the doors and putting some lovely glass in. And then to me, it's really important if you can, especially on that tall elevation, to create a feeling of depth. As you walk into the room, you're kind of drawn to that corner. So that's what we wanted to do, was to put as many layers and overhangs, if you like, as we could. I think one of the things I really loved about it, and again, this is very much the discussion in the judges on the day, was that there's nothing flashy about this. There's nothing kind of aesthetically over the top about it at all. It's a very beautifully refined and very, very simple looking thing. But like I say, when you zoom in, that's when you really see it. I mean, those beautiful brass door frames and everything. It's just a beautiful little touches of detail that clearly really give it a touch of class, I think. Well, thank you. That's really what we wanted to do. In fact, when we had a discussion about the uh, bronze, they, they look fairly much like a brass framework, but they, they were meant to be bronze, but we were quite happy with the way they came anyway. There's, it's the uh, BMA finishing on it. You can either go really dark or really light. We quite liked, we quite liked it looking more brass and bronze, really, but, uh, and it had a kind of an aged feel to it. The handles on there are made by a company called Jolie. So we knew we had a handle that would be compatible with it anyway. And it was only when we started drawing these, we kind of started sketching up the idea for the glass. And I wanted a very, very narrow edge to it. A framework where you actually, the edge of the, um, the, the, the uh, brass section was shown. So you get a very slender, uh, well, it's an eighth of an inch. It's about three, three mil edging on the front of that glass before the framework takes place. So it, it appears to be quite delicate, quite fine, but it had to, obviously we had to make something that was strong enough to hold the glass. And then obviously you had the little inset, the little brass inset in the bottom, which allowed us to fit the handle in place, which as we drew these pieces in, I could see it, it was just looking, you know, I was really pleased with it. Sometimes you design a kitchen and there'll be a part of it where you think, yeah, I'm really pleased with that. It makes sense on all levels because it's going to be easy to make. The glass will fit in the back. You've got T-section, so you've got exactly the same detail on the back of the door as you have on the front. So the glass goes in, that's no problem. And it just hung together really well. We were really happy. Well, look, David, you're obviously so passionate about what you do, and and that comes across in the level of detail you've put in this project. So well done. It's a very deserved winner. And I'm very pleased it's the winner as well, because like I say, it is all about craftsmanship and all about detail, which are the which are the things that I really love. So congratulations to you again. I'm so I'm so sorry you couldn't be there on the night, but I promise your trophy is on its way. That's brilliant, and I'm sorry we couldn't be there. I nearly fell off my chair when I rang Frances. I mean, she was so so annoyed with me because um, we hadn't gone. But I'm, I'm so happy, and uh, thank you so much for seeing what I see in it, which is brilliant. Well, listen, David, entries are now open for 2022, so we'll see what you come up with for next year. It's on its way. I'll speak to you soon. Now on to the Bathroom Designer of the Year. Project cost over £25,000. On behalf of Ideal Standard, I am delighted to announce that the winner is Pippa Patton from Pippa Patton Designs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the 2021 Special Achievement Award. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Hans Grower, I'm delighted to announce the Special Achievement Award for 2021 goes to Johnny Gray. We now move on to a unique award just for this year that recognizes the support that suppliers have given their retailers and the wider industry during the upheavals and uncertainties of the COVID lockdowns. Yes, thank you. Um, on behalf of the KBB team, uh, the winner goes to Cooker. 
Another category now, a new one acknowledging the hugely important role installers and fitters play in this industry. The Installation Company of the Year Award. On behalf of Sensetech, I'm pleased to announce that the winner is Terlecki. And down the line now we have Carl Terlecki. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? It's going very, very well, thank you. Congratulations, you're the first ever winner of our Installation Company of the Year. No, crazy. And that was incredible. It kind of took, it took our little group by surprise, I think. As soon as we arrived, uh, we realized why we needed to be dressed in a tux. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> uh, the building itself, uh, the whole experience was, uh, yeah, it was really top class. Uh, we loved it. And then, obviously, the cherry on top was getting announced winner on the evening. So we still smile when we, when we think back to the evening. Congratulations, a very worthy win. But listen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about the company. What's your background? Quite a varied background. Uh, you can hear by the accent, born in South Africa. You can see by the surname, I have a Polish heritage. And my mother is British or was born in Britain. So I managed to get British citizenship. So I'm a, a real mixed bag. So yeah, in Kent, loving the Garden of England and enjoying family life. And yeah, we've got this little business that's doing a right down here. But a nice team of guys. And so, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much me in a bag. Now, what's interesting about you, I think, is that you, know, you haven't always done this. This, is, this hasn't always been your, your trade, so to speak. So give us a bit of the, your sort of professional background. Well, I will say this, is that I did uh, woodwork, as we call it in South Africa, all the way up till I was 18. And I won, the, I won the woodwork prize. It was probably because I got kicked out of every other class and spent a lot of time in the woodwork room. So that was my little hangout spot. Um, always loved carpentry. Um, but yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of everything. I've traveled to almost 50 countries. I've lived in Germany. I've lived in America. I've lived in the Cayman Islands. I've lived in the UK. And yeah, I've, I've been across a few different industries. The interesting thing, though, is that there is a thread. And I've always gone back to carpentry or that sort of trade, even in some of the other industries. But uh, I think what, what has helped with Telexki Limited is that I have had exposure and training to other industries and I've had different roles so yeah not always been in uh, construction not always been in the KBB industry and not always been on the tools as a carpenter I love the fact that you've traveled to over 50 countries and you've settled in Maidstone <laughs> that's <laughs> I just think that's fantastic my, my in-laws live in Maidstone I know very well and I just think you know Cayman Islands Maidstone Maidstone Cayman Islands you know each to their own I completely get that now, your company is relatively young as an entity, but you, you've got well, half a dozen guys there working for you now. How do you think that really wide experience that you've had in life has fed into how you run your business today? Andrew, it was only five years ago. I got back from South Africa, did a massive project out there where we set up a, a charity and a, uh, an investment company, and we bought a business out there. So it was a massive initiative. I had one of those, I suppose, um, midlife, sort of moments where you look at everything and go, is this the direction I'm wanting to go in? Is this where I'm wanting to have my family? And are there some changes that I'm wanting to make? And so we came back to the UK kind of with a couple of bags and uh, me wondering, what am I going to do? And uh, yeah, typical, went back to the woodwork room, I suppose. I typed in on Google uh, carpentry jobs, funnily enough. And that started my journey into the KBB industry. Yeah, I was kind of 
just taken by the fact that I can work indoors all year round. I can work with my hands. And at the time, it was it was something that I needed uh, personally and my family needed. I think what's helped in the KBB industry after doing that for about a year and a half, two years, is me realizing that there's more to this than just being on the tools and installing furniture. And so that um, a lot of customers were having a varied experience, suppliers, retailers were having their own issues. And um, I've always enjoyed team. And so I started breaking down the process a little bit in my head. How can I maybe divide up different roles and responsibilities and put the right people in the right places to make the customer experience good and to try and, I suppose, serve the industry and serve some of the issues that retailers and suppliers have uh, with regards to getting products, materials, you know, everything on site and then trying to find tradesmen that are able to fit it all and do that from all over the country. So we found a little bit of a niche and then just started playing around with that a little bit. So um, I suppose I came in not necessarily always being a tradesman, always being an apprentice, you know, just uh, having that sort of fishbowl experience. I kind of came with different eyes into it. Yeah, and I guess it's being able to see things from a full project aspect rather than just the fit. That's exactly it. I think I don't see myself or any one of the guys as necessarily just one thing. I think we see ourselves as an installation company. We want to see ourselves as a solution to some of the needs and challenges that you know everyone faces and try and solve those and present a service that makes things a little bit better because it's it's not always easy there are always issues and so yeah we just try to try to sort some of those and yeah we're not pretending we're something completely yet i still believe we're in the i, I tell my guys all the times the chopping onions phase you know where we're just needing to go through the process as many times as we can to keep refining it but um so far, customers have been really happy. The guys are enjoying it. We're enjoying working together. And so we'll see where it takes us. And that's great. Now, obviously, installation and fitters, the availability of them, the scarcity of them has been a big part of, of this whole lockdown story for this industry. Give us an idea of, of where you're up to. How busy are you now? Uh, and do you see any sign of it all slowing down? Uh, good question. When lockdown hits, we literally had to shut, uh, shut up everything. And at that time, the ideas and the things that I was throwing around were, were still quite fresh. Um, I had a few guys that we were tinkering with and trying to work out how we can make this work together rather than just being an installer with a nice van and I can do a little bit of everything. Then lockdown hit. And um, to be honest, it was when the restrictions started lifting I was on a construction site myself personally. I had a hard hat on, I had a harvest on, and I was like, I've got to just do something to feed the family. That wasn't for me, obviously. It was like four or five days. And then I was like, no, I've got to get back. And I uh, just made a few phone calls to, you know, one, two developer that I knew someone else and just thought, okay, I've got to start pulling this together. There was a few other guys that were out of sort of work and, you know, also scratching around. And so started pulling the team together. And so the amount of work was, I was totally surprised. It kind of took me, you know, it, took, it was a bit shocking to see, that, wow, people actually are investing in their homes, even though we're in a lockdown sort of situation. And it might have been because of people weren't able to travel or they were cutting down on other expenses, et cetera, or they were spending more time at home. So we're like, you know what, we want to we do something in our home. So the work hasn't stopped the last over a year now. We've had so much work, if anything, too much work. And there's not enough, uh, like you say, there's actually not enough skilled tradesmen to service all of that. So 
is there work tomorrow? We don't have that problem. I think it's more from the customer point of view and maybe from suppliers and retailers going, listen, we need more tradesmen. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, whether or not it will quieten down or not. You know, I don't know. It, it hasn't seemed like it. But, um, yeah, I suppose we all have to wait and see. Well, look, Carl, it's such a fascinating story that you've got there. And I think it's going to be really interesting. I know that, you know, in the future, you want it, want this to hold, to be a full design build installed company and your wife i think is is training up as a designer isn't she yeah that's right so she's studying interior design up at chelsea harbour and so she's doing that while obviously um our kids are uh, sort of at that young age transition phase so we're looking forward she does do more than she would say as a director of the company but also giving creative input even if it's, if it's to customers just small little things little mood boards or whatever so she's doing more than she would say I think we would like that. Um, I think it's also we, you know, I'm really excited about the um, installations, um, that whole side, what the British Institute is doing and realizing that that is a need in the industry for good installers, good project teams, um, good processes. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think Telexki would like to be, like you say, a a turnkey solution where we could maybe start uh, chatting to customers a little bit earlier on from their ideas. But I think because we got something going right now with installations, I think it would be silly for us just to move away completely from that. So one of my mantras is slow is fast. So we just got to make sure that we keep doing things right and not uh, get too far ahead of ourselves. I can't wait to see what you do next. It's such a brilliant setup you've got there. And I certainly hope we'll see you in the awards again for 2022 because entries are now open, of course. You might, you've got to defend your title now, Carl. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. I don't know if that would be a bit too proud to go. Listen, I'm the I'm the enter again, but I, I think the whole team feels quite proud of our achievements this year. I think we I think we've gone over 50 um, installations uh, this year already. So in, just that in itself feels like an achievement. And so yeah, who knows? Maybe we should put in another uh, another entry. I think the guys will deserve it. Maybe I'll have to send up someone else on the team if we get uh, if we get onto the shortlist. Well, look, good luck to you, Carl, uh, and we'll hopefully speak again very soon, but fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks to you guys for all that you've done. It was a brilliant event, and uh, yeah, I look forward to following uh, what's going to come next. Now we come to the Community Champion of the Year, an award that has taken on a whole new meaning in the last year or so. On behalf of Costantino, I am happy to announce the winner is Dream Doors Newbury. Next we turn to the category for new retailers who have set up businesses in the last 12 months since the last award. So these are some very brave people considering what's happened in that time. The new Kitchen Retailer of the Year is first. And on behalf of Wigmore Kitchen Design Festival, it gives me great pleasure to announce the winner is Elgar Kitchen. Now on to the new Bathroom Retailer of the Year, on behalf of Aquata, I'm pleased to announce the winner is Pier One Bathrooms. Now on to our showroom awards. And these categories reward the best design showrooms in the country across all sectors of the market. And first up is the Kitchen Showroom of the Year. I'm delighted tonight, on behalf of Insincorator, the winner is Diane Berry Kitchen. On to the Bathroom Showroom of the Year. On behalf of Vitra, I'm delighted to announce that the Bathroom Showroom of the Year for 2021, I think it's going to be a popular one, 
ESP bathrooms. Now it's our last two awards of the night and it's the big ones, the retailers of the year. We start with Kitchen Retailer of the Year. On behalf of Neff, I'm really happy to say that the Kitchen Retailer of the Year is the Myers Touch. Keith Myers from the Myers Touch. Hello, Keith. Hello, good morning. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. And congratulations on a very well-deserved win. You've been a finalist in this category several times, haven't you? So how does it feel to actually win it? Well, actually, to get over the line, I must say, was a moment of shock, I would say, because having obviously been there, like many award winners are, where you don't actually get the award, to actually have won something is obviously a great, great uh, delight. And um, obviously, we've worked hard for it as well. So... Um, having that peer recognition is amazing. Yeah, and I, you know, there's a part of me, I think, that's always really pleased when, and I mean this in the most positive possible way, the smaller guys do take home the prizes sometimes. And it, it just shows that it really isn't about how much money you make or whether you employ 50 people or whatever it is. It really is about what you do in your own environment and in your own business. I think one thing that I've learned over, over the years is if you've made the final of a design award or a competition of any sort, you really have won because it's a very, very competitive award to get into. You know, when you look at the people that have been consistently up for Kitchen Showroom of the Year awards and also the Retailer Awards, um, it's without exception, they're all phenomenal businesses. So competition is, is stiff. It is always very, very close. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, look, let's um, let's start, Keith, if we can, with a bit of background for those that aren't as familiar with you. Give us a brief overview of the Myers Touch, like where you're based, etc. Okay, well, we're based in um, Winchester in Hampshire. Um, we've been probably about 18, 18 years, 19 years we've been um, in business now. The MySearch actually started as a design and build company. So we would actually go in and design uh, interiors, extensions, architecture, um, and then we would actually build it. But with some significant changes in, for those who've been in the industry for a long time, in building regs and health and safety, we really had to focus on what we really enjoyed the most. And although I do like to construct and build things, actually, I, I think ultimately we we like uh, the design side. So we became a somatic retailer probably about 12 or 13 years ago, which was a great step for us. Um, and it's a, a great product to be able to help us to design at that level, really. So we're constantly innovating, adapting, growing, changing, um, and just basically seeing bigger and bigger projects come into us, um, which have its own challenges as well. I mean, it is a, a fantastically consistent business, the Myers Touch. I mean, you're based there in Winchester, a lovely part of the world. How is business for you at the moment? We're here still, obviously, in the end of September, October now. Um, we are you know, post-lockdown, supposedly. How is business for you right now? Well, I think we're, we're kind of verging on a bit mad at the moment, really. Um, uh, it, it's it's really interesting because when I first joined the industry, there were, there were many people saying about particular times of the year would be really busy and then it'd be really quiet here. I mean, August is often a quiet time. Um, um, but actually, we found it all over the place. You just really have no idea what's coming at, at times. Um, and, you know, because we're more high end, we're... We don't need a high high footfall uh, to have a very successful business. We just need to make sure we attract the right clients. And a lot of our marketing is targeted around choosing our clients as well. I mean, when a client walks in the door, we don't have to work with them. You know, we have a choice. And I think in that whole process, as you're evolving your strategy, your marketing, who you're talking to, 
um, how you draw people into you. It's very, very important. So our marketing is designed for two functions, one to draw people towards us, which is the obvious one. And the other one is to push people away because we're not right for everybody and we need to carve our own niche out and our own market. Um, and there's some great kitchen studios in Hampshire um, as well. We bump into them, of course. And, you know, we're not always the right place for, for everybody. So that's it, really. I mean, that is one of the things I think that stands out with your business very consistently, and certainly this year during the judging, was you have a very clear view of what it is you want. Your business planning is very impressive, but also you have a real philosophy around the Myers Touch, don't you? <laughs> well, that, that came complete by chance, really, when I was actually in Scotland, which are both Kitchens International and Geddes would say all good things come from Scotland. However, I was... Um, really impacted when I was visiting Charles Rennie Mackintosh's, uh, one of the mu- museums there, and, and suddenly began to realise that design is so much more than just boxes and products. As, as important as products are, they are a foundational level to what we do. And our whole philosophy, I suppose, and approach to design really, for me, flipped over and started us on a journey. And, and that's, I think, what we sometimes forget in our industry in certain situations, it's not in every situation, but in certain situations, what we're doing is we're creating very emotive, very spiritual, very other world type of places for people. We're creating the feeling that design creates and creating that feeling that design creates is a uh, it's not common in our industry. Um, there's a lot of people and more people beginning to do that. And we rattle off this kind of phrase so often uh, the kitchen is the heart of the home. But to be honest with you, most people really don't know what it means or how to get there. And because it's so personal. So you've got to have a really, really focused, really bespoke way of dealing with the clients, drawing them to you and, and having this engagement that stretches them into a place. And they know they know what it is when they walk into it. And we had one project where we we actually were going somewhere and we, we'd finished the project. We dropped rounds on a Sunday morning as we were passing to go to some friends and we had breakfast with them. And, and when we walked into the space, the, the lady client was actually jumping up and down on the spot because she was so excited to show us what was a transformational space for her. Now, when you look at the kitchen, you know, even from um, a design point of view, it wouldn't win an award. But it's not always about that. It, sometimes there's certain kitchens that will win awards or you can get into a final and others that you that you can't. But it's because you've got to test the architecture, get the architecture right and get the whole flow of the space right, really understand their needs. And then you get reactions like that. What's really interesting is when I first met you, you haven't been in the kitchen industry all your life. You had a sort of very corporate life before you got into this world, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I used to work, actually, I trained, believe it or not, as, a, as an engineer, as a design engineer. Um, and I was in the electronics field and I didn't really enjoy it. I, I was more interested in people, um, I suppose, or what, what things did rather than how it did it. So I actually moved into a computer company. I spent 12 years with them and then put my hand up for redundancy when the IT industry went through a bit of a shuffle and kind of thought about what to do next. And as I think most people you talked about kitchens, they stumble into it. They don't really choose it as a career path. Hopefully that's changing. But what I did is I brought that experience, that knowledge, that background into the industry. So for us, I mean, one practical example of that is when the whole coronavirus thing hit and we were about to go into lockdown, all of my IT systems were already set up for a disaster recovery situation. And we just basically picked up our computer's phone, went home, plugged them in, and they worked. Um, we didn't have to do anything. And that's been in place right since I started the Myers Touch because I understand some of the technical uh, concepts. 
I guess what I'm getting at here is that the, the project management element of what you do is very impressive. The business planning element of what you do is very impressive. And you would expect that from someone with the kind of background that you've had. But it seems to have been this kind of epiphany moment, as you describe it, where you, you start talking about feelings and emotion and what the work that you do can mean to people in the gut. If you like, it's not about award winning. It's about how it makes people feel. And that is not necessarily something that, that links in with, with the background that you've had. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to say something which you're kind of going to perhaps laugh laugh about. But you know, sometimes you, when you're journeying something and you're stretching a brand, you have to really push into something to stretch a thought process to see how far it can go. And many years ago, and this kind of came out of my visit to Scotland. One of the things I was thinking is okay, kitchens have a practical function and they they have to work at many many different levels, but a relational level. How do they work? And I asked myself a question, say, can I design a kitchen to save a marriage? Huh. Yeah, exactly. And the answer is no, I can't. So I'm, very, I'm really sorry to anybody that's listening. But, but actually, it starts to make the question is, what is the power to cement and strengthen relationships within the home and to create an environment that should people choose to want to develop a relationship with each other within their family or in their marriage or partnership or whatever, that they can actually do that. And what is the what is the ability that design has to be able to facilitate that and how far can it go? And and that started us, both myself and my wife, we're both people of faith anyway. So um, it's kind of partly an easier kind of exploring it is that how far can design go and how far can it influence people's lives for the better? Now, what's really interesting during the whole lockdown thing is that suddenly families are thrust together in a small space, their home, and they, they can't go outside and it put pressure on relationships. And obviously we know the divorce rate struggled during that period, but also it strengthened some relationships as well. So, I mean, there's human choices to make, but there is ways as designers that we can, we can create environments that naturally draw people to them without them thinking about it because they want to be there. The space is right. It feels comfortable. It feels at home and everything is right. And, and that is, I think that's been more prevalent now the kitchen is a really important place to invest in um, spiritually and emotionally. Look, Keith, thank you so much for your time. It's so fascinating to get inside your head sometimes uh, to, to hear how you approach these things. And this has been such a well-deserved win this year. Like I say, you're always there or thereabouts. But I think this year in particular, you really proved yourself through that lockdown of just of just what you're capable of doing. So congratulations to you and congratulations to everyone else there. And we'll catch up again soon. Brilliant. All the best. And thank you very much for your team for hosting the event and what a great place it, it was too. Like I said, I went I went to church and won an award. <laughs> <laughs> See, two birds with one stone. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and the whole cathedral, it's the final award of the night. And it's for Bathroom Retailer of the Year. It's sponsored by Rocker. So please welcome Managing Director Alan Dodds, everybody. On behalf of Rocker, I'm delighted to announce that the winner is TBK Design. That's it, we've given all the awards out. I even got a surprise on myself and my brother who appeared out of nowhere, which completely threw me as anyone who was here will testify. Our host, Joel Dommert, was amazing. Really nice guy too. And now we're all off to the Cooper Club after party where we've got Martin Kemp waiting to give us an 80s disco. So I bet you wish you were here now, don't you? 
Uh, by the time you hear this, entries will be open for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2022. So if you want a chance of getting up on that stage in March next year, then go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards. And if you want to see all the pictures and photos from tonight, you can go there and find them there too. Thank you to everyone who came. Thank you to all our sponsors. I'm absolutely knackered, but it's been a brilliant, brilliant evening so far. But for you podcast listeners, I'll see you next time.